0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Bold. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 9 please. Matthew 9. You'll find that on page 1509 in that book rack Bible. Great to see Bibles opened up or you have a phone or a tablet or whatever you got to look to Matthew chapter 9. Now, if we're going to learn what it means to follow Jesus, I can't think of a better place to start a series than where we look at what Jesus said to Matthew here in Matthew chapter 9. Follow along as I read the text beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. but sinners. Now let me point out that this isn't the first time we hear Jesus inviting people in the Gospels to follow him. And we're going to be looking at various places, but I can't think of a better place that contextualizes the meaning of what it means to follow Jesus with what we learn right here in this account with Matthew. Right in Matthew's own Gospel. So the purpose of for the purpose of teaching our text this morning, I would like to frame what we've just read in what I'm calling five clarifying marks of Jesus' invitation. Now I'm calling these five clarifying marks because they're gonna help you and me decide whether or not we really are a follower. Because some of us think we're following Jesus because we've got a mental creed about him or because we go to church or we have a certain morality that we hold to. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're following Jesus. And this series is about follow Jesus, not just think about him, not just believe certain things about him, but actually follow. And that's what Jesus invites Matthew to do right here. It's what he invites each one of us to do too. So if you're taking notes, these five qualifying marks come right out of the text. They're simple, but I think they're incredibly profound. And here's the first one. Jesus' invitation to follow him is personal. Say the word personal. I mean, I'm struck by the fact that the text tells us in verse 9 there that Jesus, as he walked along, saw a man named Matthew. Matthew. He saw a man. Now all this takes place in the the region around the Sea of Galilee. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. And when Jesus comes across Matthew and sees him, he gives him a personal invitation. And I like this. I'm sure you do too. I'm making a point of this because this is how Jesus calls every person who has ever followed him. He calls us by name. Jesus actually comes and invites us to follow him. And some place in all of our lives, if we say we're a follower of Christ, we heard his invitation too. Now, we often think of the call of Christ to be sort of to the masses. And Pastor Paul read earlier in this service, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we think of that as this giant appeal to the world. God loved the world. Yes, he did. But that little word, whoever, changes everything in that text. Because God loving the world only impacts the person who is the whoever because whoever is that whoever when they come to Jesus are responding to his personal invitation. He doesn't just splash it to a crowd or to a club. He comes to us as individuals and he invites us to follow. Let's put this in terms of a qualifier or a clarifier if you're taking notes. It's personal because he's inviting us into a relationship with him. He's inviting us into a relationship. Religion focuses on rituals and rules, but Jesus invites us into relationship. Listen, people may be religious and not have a real relationship with the living God. Would you agree with that? The Bible agrees with that all over in the scripture. In fact, one of the most stirring and challenging texts is Matthew seven twenty two and 23, which says, Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, that's the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, that's a text that ought to stir all of our hearts because there are a group of people at the day of judgment that thought they were in because they actually did religious things. There are people in churches all over the world and even in our church today who think they're on their way to heaven, but they're actually just in the stream of culture. They have a little bit of morality around them. They know some things about God. They might tote a Bible now and then, but they don't follow Jesus. And in that day, listen, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I hope that's nobody here in the sound of my voice today. I like what Jesus said in John 10, 27. Jesus, on the other hand, offers to those who invite to follow a relationship not kept by rules. He says, listen, in John 10, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they, what? They follow me. You ever heard Jesus' voice? Ever heard the voice of God? Now, you may not have heard the audible voice of God, but somewhere in our journey in life, we heard The call, the invitation of Christ to come out and follow him. If we're sitting here today as worshipers of the living God through his son Jesus, we we heard that voice. And guess what? If you heard the voice of Christ to follow him in your heart and you're following him, guess what? You've continued to hear his voice ever since. Now maybe not as often or as frequently as we would like. Let's be honest. Sometimes it feels like God's not speaking to us. But you know what I've learned in my life? I've learned, first of all, if I ever want God to speak to me, I never have to question, all I have to do is open my Bible. And I can be assured that God is speaking to me. I like that. But you know, when my Bible is closed and I'm going through my day, you know, God speaks in a number of different ways. You know, sometimes God's voice sounds a lot like my wife, Carla. I've learned that. Sometimes his voice sounds like one of my kids. Or a neighbor. Or an angry atheist. God will speak through all kinds of people into our hearts to show us the direction that we need to go and challenge us with things in our lives. Are you following me? Jesus said, my sheep listen to me. They hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. Jesus' invitation is personal. That's the first clarifier. The second clarifier is that Jesus' invitation to follow him is merciful. Say the word merciful. Merciful. Now, here in the text, Matthew 9, it says Jesus saw the man Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus saw a man named Matthew, but he was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Last Monday was the deadline to file your taxes. Sorry to remind you of that. Did you make it? There are some CPAs among us, I'm sure, who are trying to hold their eyes open right now because it's been so busy for them. And, and we all have jokes about taxes, you know, the IRS and all that stuff. I, I like the one where the guy sent a registered letter to the IRS stating, please take me off your mailing list permanently. <laughs> That's fantastic. But the jokes about taxes are because we don't, like, we don't like paying stuff that we don't think we ought to pay for. But taxes are a part of life, right? I mean, the only two things you can be sure of, right? Death and taxes, but the reason I'm calling this a, a clarifier of mercy is because you've got to look at the context of where Matthew's coming from here. After the Battle of Pompeii, a little history lesson here, 63 B.C., the Roman Empire took occupation of this area of land called Palestine. And so everyone that lived in that area of the world suddenly now had to give tribute or taxes to the emperor of Rome. And they didn't like that. Rome had come in and occupied the land, and now they had to pay taxes to the emperor. And by the way, the emperor to the Romans was God. And so really the God of the Israelites or the God of the Jews who lived in this area known as Palestine during this particular time that Jesus walking the earth felt that they were sort of committing treason or even blasphemy by paying taxes to a foreign god. And so this was already a burr under their saddle, so to speak, and the the Jews didn't like the Romans one bit. But compounded with that, the Romans set up these things called tax collectors, and, and there were general tax collectors, two types. One was called Gabai. That was a tax collector that just basically income tax, property tax, just the general tax collectors. But then there was this other called, uh, other group called the moques, and the Mochay tax collectors were like franchises that Rome had set up, and here's the way this ran down. They, the, Rome would, the Romans would say, you buy this franchise, you pay a quota to us for your area. Of the, the region where you're going to be uh, collecting taxes. And as long as you meet the quota, anything you make beyond that is yours to keep. And so this gave birth to all kinds of extortion, taxes for every conceivable thing that you would do. And if and if a if a, a tax collector was in your region, you were the most that person was the most despised person on the planet. And not only that, here was Matthew who was a Jew who had gone over to Rome by becoming a franchise tax collector... And he was a Mochase, and watch this, there were two kinds of Mochase. There was a chief Mochase who kind of liked to stay out of the realm, kind of like a, a, a warlord that always was in the shadows. Nobody ever saw who this guy was. He was just sort of feeding the money up up the chain. But then there was the little Mokez. The little Mochase was the greedy little guy that actually stood in the tax booth. He didn't mind getting his hands dirty. He didn't mind people seeing who he was. He was taking everybody for what he could get, and he didn't care. He was the slummiest of the slum, and this is Matthew. Matthew's sitting in a tax office. He's a little mochus. Now, that doesn't sound too threatening, but he was vitriolically hated by the people of his region. And this is what amazes me. Jesus comes along, and he says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. Let's use the clarifier. This is a merciful invitation because we are all undeserving sinners. All of us are undeserving sinners. We know the scriptures, right? This is the core of the gospel. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. If you hold your place in Matthew 9, go over to the book of Luke. Just go write a few books, a couple books. Luke chapter 18. And let's just refresh ourselves with another picture of one of these tax collectors. They're all over in Scripture. Zacchaeus is one. Zacchaeus was probably a chief mocase He was a guy in the shadows. Matthew was a little mocase He was the guy in the tax booth. Here in Luke chapter 18, remember Jesus, look at this, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. You know anybody like that? Oh, that's, that's a little scary. That might be some of us. Felt confident in our own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told the parable. Okay, here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, oh, revered among the people of God as people that knew the word of God, people that lived the word of God, people that were authoritarian and holy in all their ways. The Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Ooh, you can just feel the hair going up on people's backs, back of their necks. Or their backs. Who knows? Okay. (laughs) Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. Jesus finishes the story. <laughs> I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector calls for mercy and God gives it to him. I love this about Jesus, don't you? We deserve judgment, but he offers what? Mercy. Mercy. He sees our sinfulness, our shame, our wicked hearts. He sees everything we've ever done, and yet he comes and invites us to follow him. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a righteous man on earth that does what is right and never sins. We are all broken people. We are all sinners. There is none of us righteous. Don't hold anybody up and say, oh, look at that person. They never sin. Oh, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, there is nobody who never sins. Not the highest in the religious hierarchy that you can think of. No one ever gets through this world without sin in our lives. We're broken individuals. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus calls us to follow him, even knowing that we are sinners and undeserving as we are. And yet his mercy is so great, he invites us. Listen, I I talk to people all the time who think they're disqualified from ever following Jesus. They say, you don't understand before they continue. My marriage fell apart. I'm an adulterer. I'm a drug addict. I'm a sex addict. I have hate in my heart for certain people or all people. I've lied, I've cheated, I've ripped people off. I'm full of greed, prejudice, malice, envy. I hate myself. How could God ever love me? How could God ever use me? How could God ever want me? But his invitation still comes. Follow me. You, the adulterer, you, the addict, you, the liar, you, the fornicator, you, the cheat, you, the hypocrite. You come, follow me, and let me change your life. Let me clean you up. Let me wash you. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow, the prophet Isaiah said. I love that. Do you see this here? Now, we've seen terrible tragedies in the news this past week, haven't we? Bombing in Boston Marathon. I think there were three that lost their lives, over 140 that were brutally maimed, lost limbs, terrible carnage, the escalation of a manhunt with a crescendo of the events this past Friday as one suspect is killed after he's killed a police officer, an exchange of gunfire, and all day long the news filling our hearts and minds with this amazing tragedy, this manhunt looking for the second suspect that committed the bombings. And I have to admit, as the afternoon wore on, as I saw the news, as I listened, as I was out doing my errands in my heart at first, I was saying, God, get that guy. He deserves wrath. He deserves to be put to death. In fact, part of me, honest truth, I hope they kill him. And the Spirit of God just, what? That's a soul. The Spirit of God turned my heart right around on that. In fact, I spent most of the afternoon praying for that young man. Oh, God, if they find him, don't let him kill him. Bring him to justice, Lord. But in the process of due justice that is important for this process, Lord, let someone come across his path that he might understand the free grace of Jesus Christ. There's so much hate and and terrible tragedies in our world and we kind of look at it like oh that person deserves that god says what did you get you deserve judgment and i give you mercy and you're calling down judgment on others Hmm. listen i'm all for justice justice is big in the heart of god too don't misunderstand what i'm saying i'm just saying that young man i praise god and I pray that a chaplain, I pray that, a, that someone in the court system, I pray that someone will come across his path and share with him the beautiful message of the gospel and that that young man might come to know Christ. Hmm. It's personal, it's merciful. Notice at the end of the text, Jesus said, For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. By the way, that's a direct quote from the book of Hosea and it's a picture of God's not interested in our burnt offerings he wants to see our hearts more on that we could go but we won't here's a third third qualifier clarifier Jesus invitation is personal it's merciful it's also radical say the word radical it's radical Jesus these two little words follow me in those two words is a radical clarifying statement Knowing that Jesus was who he was, I'm sure it surprised Matthew that Matthew would uh, be brought to this point of actually inviting him to follow Jesus. But for Matthew, listen, understand, Matthew would know in a split second of time that his life would never be the same if he got up out of that tax booth and started following Jesus. Do you understand that? I mean, maybe Matthew hung out and saw some of the things that Jesus was doing. He might have compared some of the other disciples of Jesus who had already heard the invitation to follow him, guys that were fishermen, and probably Matthew maybe surmised in his mind, look, if it doesn't work out on the mission field for these guys, at least they can go back to fishing. Matthew's life was over the second he decided to follow Jesus. There was no going back. Are you kidding me? Oh, this doesn't work. I'm going to go back and, and be my tax collector guy again. You think so? I don't think so. I mean, he was burning his bridge in the split second that he got up to follow Jesus Christ. A friend of mine recently gave me a book. It's an interesting book. It's, the title of the book is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's a story of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. It's a true story. She recently wrote it. She's an English professor at a major university in our country, Syracuse University, and if you looked at her life, and I won't go into all the detail of her life, but morally way, way, way to the left, way off of the mark, an agnostic, always believed that God was really more of a problem, even damaging people's beliefs about God. Uh, she wrote uh, statements of, of, of disgust and ridiculousness about the whole Christian movement and in fact, in one paper, she wrote about the promise keepers and how their view of masculinity was completely upside down and crazy. She was a professing lesbian partner at the time with someone lived together. Uh, this This woman was just way out there. And she wrote this article about promise keepers and... <laughs> And she got all this comment back from the community. She got a bunch of people that said, finally someone's standing up and thank you for that. And those people are idiots that follow God and look at men like that and just, you know, on and on. Just great praise for what she wrote. And then there were people that said, how could you do that? You are going to hell. And yeah, just all this hate mail from people that follow Christ. So she had two piles, the the love notes from the people that were like her and the hate notes from people that weren't like her. And then she got another letter, and that letter was from a pastor, and she thought, oh, here we go again. And that pastor, right in the community that she was in, not condemning, just asked questions, showed a tone of kindness, respect. (laughs) She didn't know what pile to put that letter in, so she put it right in the middle. She couldn't, sat there on her desk and looked at it for weeks and didn't know which way to go. Finally, she picked up the letter, and she started corresponding to this pastor, which ended up in having a phone call. The pastor said, look, you know, this is deep stuff we're talking about. Why don't you just come over? Why don't you just come over to my house, talk with me and my wife? Began a friendship. Eventually, Rosaria started attending his church. Not a Christian. Sat in the back, watched people who professed to know Christ come in and out every week listened, began reading the Scripture, and after about, watch this, two years, she knew it was time for her to follow his call. And Rosaria, now watch this, this is how Rosaria describes her conversion. (laughs) She describes her conversion as a train wreck at the hand of the supernatural Conversion put me, she writes, in a complicated and comprehensive chaos in my life. <gasps> yeah, that's what, that's what Jesus does. He turns your life upside down. I hear people sometimes say, oh, just try Jesus, a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit. Just see how he'll work in your life. No, that's not the gospel. Jesus said, you follow me, I'm going to wreck your life. I'm going to turn everything in your life upside down. You're not going to know what end is up. But oh, what a glorious ride it will be. And, and Rosaria, I recommend this book. It's a beautiful book. It's a portrayal of God's sovereign grace and the life of a heart that was so distant. And it speaks to me as a pastor because it speaks about how loving kindness and gentleness is the roadway to ministry. Not judgment. Remember, his call is personal. It's merciful. It's radical. And it's radical, if you haven't already written it down, is because it will cost us everything to follow him. It'll cost us everything to follow him. Let me give you another clarifier. Jesus' invitation to follow him is also effectual. Effectual. Say the word effectual. I see this in the verse 9 where it just says, and Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Every time we read this invitation, uh, these words follow me in the Greek language, they're in the imperative mood as they are here. It comes from one Greek word, akalotheo. It's a word that describes going the same way, getting on the same path, following the same direction. So the logo of this series is we're in the course of this world, we're going along in culture, we're living our lives, and suddenly Jesus invites us to come and it's a new direction in our lives. It's cosmic chaos everywhere. It's being train wrecked and yet being built back together the way God wants us to be built back together. But I can't miss the point that in the midst of all that, Jesus' invitation is something that meets with faith, It's an effectual call in that when Jesus calls, we follow. We follow. If I understand my scriptures, the word of God, I understand that I really don't have a whole lot to say about my salvation. Do you understand that? I mean, God shows up mysteriously and he invites us to follow him. And and maybe in in our human sense, we think, oh, wow, look what I've discovered here. And, oh, this is... You know, this feels right for me, and but all along this sovereign God is working. John Calvin, the great theologian, called this irresistible grace. Irresistible grace is not a robotic, unfeeling response to God. It's simply the culmination of God drawing lost sinners to the place where we realize that Jesus is the one who alone can save. And for Matthew, it happened very rapidly. Who knows how long Matthew had been thinking about it. But in that instant when Jesus invited him to come, he came, he got up and followed Jesus. I like how one commentator who served in the last century put this point into perspective. Listen as I quote, When Christ calls, he also draws. Come, says the sea to the river. Come, says the magnet to the steel. Come, says the spring to the sleeping life of the field and forest. And like the obedience of the river to the sea, of the steel to the magnet of the earth's charmed atoms to the springs, effectual call is the obedience of the soul to Christ's wondrous spirit of invitation. (sighs) Maybe that's going to happen for somebody right here today. I got excited about that, thinking about that. I like in Luke's account of this story, it says that Matthew got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. It's an effectual call. For Matthew to follow Jesus, he had to leave it all, and he was not going back. But he could do that because he was drawn by a Savior that had prepared the way for that moment. That tells us a lot about how we should share our faith with others. Sometimes we share our faith because, ah, I'm not interested, ah, that's a bunch of bunk, I don't believe that, you're crazy, you're whatever. And we think, oh, that's it, closed door, nothing else. Or then we think, oh, I blew it, I shouldn't have said that, I'm a failure, I wish I could share like Pastor Mark Tyler or someone like that. Or we, we think of someone that we really think is a great, communicator of the gospel. Listen, I've learned and I keep learning that it's not in my time, it's in God's time. So just keep planting seeds, just keep loving people, keep opening the door, keep being bold where you can, but realize this is not our job. It's only our job to be witnesses of the truth. All the pressure goes off. I don't save anybody, I don't do anything to save anybody. All I can do is share the good news of Jesus Christ and let his effectual call whisper into their heart at the moment they need it, you come, you follow me. Hmm. And the last thing I see in this text... By the way, why is it effectual? It's effectual because when he calls, we follow. That happened in all of our lives. Jesus' invitation to to follow him is personal, it's merciful, it's radical, it's effectual. Lastly, it's relational. I see this is verses 10 through 13. All the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke show Matthew's calling leads to a party with a lot of Matthew's friends eating and celebrating in Matthew's home. Luke's account says it this way, then Levi held a great banquet. The word great in the Greek language is megas. A mega party. Matthew threw a mega party for Jesus and all his friends. And I love how Jesus is there enjoying the party. He's in his heavenly sweet spot. He's surrounded by lost people, some of whom will follow him there also. Mark's account adds, for there were many who followed him. I read some commentaries that view Matthew's conversion as the main part of the story and the feast as sort of this accompanying incident, barely important to the text. But some have argued, and I'd go along with them, that maybe Matthew's conversion was the setup for the biggest part of the story, which is how Matthew could impact all his friends that didn't know Christ. Maybe that's the point of the story, that Jesus is using Matthew as a beachhead to get to all those other people. Ever think about that? Listen, his invitation, his invitation is relational because there are people in our reach too that need to hear his invitation. You got people in your reach? Oh yeah. People in your family, people at work, people in your neighborhood. There are stones throw away. You work with them. You stand side by side with them. You meet them in the community. And guess what? Jesus is passionate about reaching those people. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? Because we think the gospel starts and ends with us. Huh? His invitation is relational. Who are the people in our lives that need to be invited to come and hear the invitation of Jesus? Come follow me. we got six more weeks. We going to invite anybody? Am I going to invite anybody? I hope I'll lead by example. I better? There are people that need to hear his invitation, and they're going to hear it here, and they're going to hear it out there, they're going to hear it in conversations, and texts, and tweets, and all over the place. And today, someone else, someone right here is hearing his invitation, right here, right now, right now. And if that's the case, here's the action point. I'm going to ask you in just a second, we're going to go to prayer, and, and I'm going to lead you through a simple prayer. And if you're hearing his voice today, you can trust in Christ. And then here's your action point. You're going to get up and you're going to follow him. And you're going to follow him right out to our, to our new believers table in the lobby where you can pick up a Bible if you need it. You're going to pick up a little packet called Following Jesus and you're going to get started. If you hear his voice, you're going to get up like Matthew did and you're going to follow. Let's stand together right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your invitation. And Lord, if somebody is hearing your voice even now, I pray that you would just speak to their lives. And if that's you, my friend, right there, would you just simply in your own heart, in your own words, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for inviting me to follow you. Wash me clean of all my sins, and come and live in my life. Now, as an action point, if that's you this morning, we're going to enter into a little time of response here, and I'm going to ask you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three. Crosses.org.